St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. Growing up, my uh, parents were divorced and I went back and forth every week, so I lived out of a bag. And there's a comfort in holding on to things because uh, those are uh, protection that's home. Um, but then over time um, and after losing things in different ways and how emotional it can be when something breaks or uh, something is gone forever, that isn't home. Uh, home is your life and the things that you experience. And uh People are often held back by the things that they hold around them. That's Kristen Cassidy. She's a St. Louis artist, and inspired by her childhood, she found the silver lining of that experience, and she makes art out of these found objects. Like, what were some of the things, Willis? There's stuff like rocks and keys, which seems pretty normal, but there's also discarded toys, which can be a little eerie, and some stuff like animal bones she finds out in the world. Yeah, like birds and frogs, and sometimes it's like not just the bones, but the whole animal. And now you can see her installation work on a much bigger scale, the stage of the Fontbonne Theater. I'm Nancy Fowler. And I'm Willis Ryder-Arnold. And this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. So Cassidy's current canvas is really enormous. It is really big. It's 71 feet long and 35 feet high to be exact. And it's 3D. It's the set of Mustard Seed Theater's revival of its first play called Remnant. Remnant is the story of a dystopian Christmas in which a few survivors forage for food, shelter, and whatever joy they can find. It's actually Cassidy's third theater set. Earlier this year, for only the second set she did, she won St. Louis Theater Circle's 2017 award for outstanding set design in a play. That caught our attention, and so we talked with Cassidy about how she came to be fascinated by the random objects she works with and how her interest dovetails with Mustard Seed's 10-year anniversary production. It is a show that is set 100 years in the future after a plague wipes out most of humanity, and they have inhabited the Fontbonne Theater. So it is physically set in the Fontbonne Theater, and it's a Christmas show. So they are experiencing Christmas in the way that it has kind of been passed down and changed over time, and they want to hold on to traditions. I don't want to give too much of it away. (laughs) So given that you're kind of known for creating these immersive environments, what sort of objects did you bring into the Fontbonne Theater to help kind of like define that space? It's a lot of salvaged materials, much like a ruin of St. Louis. I brought in an old mustard seed theater flag that uh, was trash. Um, I brought in antique shipping crates that are used as shelving. One of the characters is fascinated by machines and putting things together. So there's a lot of found cell phones and I have a photo slide viewer. You've mentioned that 
you kind of pick and choose which theater projects to work on. How did you decide to do this one? It's called Remnant. (laughs) So I go along the Mississippi River and I'm collecting like rusty, broken things and broken pieces of glass from whatever time period. I find things that are from Native Americans, Civil War, uh, World's Fair. Usually those things, uh, people always ask, are they valuable? And I'm like, well, no, condition uh, matters. And these things don't have any monetary value, but they're beautiful. And uh, they are uh, remnants of the past. Uh, They tell a story because of their decay. The idea that this is in the future kind of telling the story of the decay of humanity and uh, tradition. I connected with that. So what around the sort of the Christmas theme did you include? A lot of Christmas lights. <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge space, um, and uh, so I've been doing a lot of hanging of Christmas lights. We've had to, had to collect, like, tiny twinkle lights. I didn't realize there were so many different types of Christmas lights. There's some really interesting uh, bubble lights from, like, the 1960s, and anything really that creates light that would be interesting, like even TV screens or old computer monitors. Does this light in some way serve to sort of be a contrast to the perhaps the darkness of the period in which the play occurs? Does it punctuate that? Definitely. Okay, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. They are bringing each other together, and there's so few people left, and this is a very important time for them. I'm trying not to reveal too much about the show. Well, there's a moment where they have to uh, initiate the power and put on this display of Christmas. Okay. What they've built and collected and decorated with. It's kind of a um, back and forth tension of uh, the story that's happening around all of that. Um, There's a character called Loner who is separate from this family but has been brought in uh, to experience this with them. And the man of the house, if you will, isn't accepting of this person and doesn't want him there. He, he wants him gone because this is their Christmas celebration. It's important. They've uh, created this great Christmas party, and uh, he feels like he's ruining it. So there's this tension, I guess, how Christmas always feels within any household. <laughs> I was going to say, this is a blended It's relatable. <laughs> I can see all kinds. This is like, yeah, every Christmas movie ever, right? I mean, Yeah. <laughs> the future is now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, you're working with specific objects and you're talking about the lights and how they're used. Are there any other, like, individual objects that you brought into the space that then you got to be surprised by how they were being used by the director or the uh, cast? Always. I, um, I'm a very collaborative person. I want to see how the actors will inhabit a space and adjust things for them and give them things that they can work with. Yesterday at the rehearsal, I had set this little Christmas elf from the 1960s on top of a TV screen, and one of the actors walked through and knocked it off. 
And it was really fun to see that that little thing that I placed became something that he incorporated and played with. He did that like in an emotional way, emotional mm-hmm. scene sort of thing. Did it shatter? No, no. It was uh, it was actually more like a curiosity. Like, what is this Christmas thing? I've never experienced Christmas before. I imagine it feels a certain way to watch people interact with like these immersive environments that you're creating in an art context. But when you're creating it in a theater context, you're seeing a kind of repetition or repeated action within that space. So I'm curious, what does that feel like for you to see it kind of activated again and again? I enjoy bringing an audience in to be part of an experience, not just separate from it. I want them to be there in this moment. That's what makes theater so interesting, is that it's a physical experience. You you could go see a movie, but uh, it's this intimate thing. It's never the same. It's always, it's always changing. Each night is different. Uh, the audience changes everything. All I can do is kind of lay out an environment and see how it's interacted with. I'm curious, and you're bringing like crates and lights and I'm, I'm picturing you maybe in a truck or in a car it's like crammed full of stuff like <laughs> how do you transport all these things is your car just like a complete wreck all the time or how does that uh, work yes I have a Honda Civic it's not ideal um, it's good to have friends with trucks also um, it's been a lot of uh, a lot of halls over, going to different places, looking for different things. Uh, We were able to work with um, the prop house with Opera Theatre St. Louis, and that was fun to go rummaging through. Um, And they have a prop house at Fontbon, and I have collected uh, too much stuff. (laughs) So it was fun to bring all of those things out that I'm inspired by, piece them together, and uh, put them in these uh, shipping crates but yes, it's it's taken many trucks and many friends. <laughs> what do you do with the stuff when it's not actually on stage somewhere or part of an installation? Do you hold on to those things or do you send them back out into the world? I like to send them back out into the world as much as possible. I have become uh, surprisingly a minimalist over time that I don't have a connection to any object. Really? And, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I do have connections to objects. But it's more, um, I don't own them. They have their own experience in themselves. And uh, the way that they interact with people is important, or the world. Um, So I like to not hold on to things. Also, once I've experienced it and added to the story of the object, allow it to maybe go on and live its next life. Is there anything in your particular life that sort of made you lean toward this relationship of interacting and working with objects but not owning them? I always felt like I needed to hold on to things. I moved around a lot. Growing up, my uh, parents were divorced, and I went back and forth every week, so I lived out of a bag. And there's a comfort in holding on to things uh, because those are – Uh, protection that's home Um, but then over time um, and after losing things in different ways and how emotional it can be when something breaks or uh, something is gone forever that isn't home Uh, home is your life and the things that you experience 
and uh, people are often held back by the things that they hold around them. Yeah, I feel like it's important to let go of the things that no longer serve you. People often end up having to have conversations with their parents about what they're doing with their lives. Have you ever talked to your parents about the ways in which that kind of experience of growing up the way you did has influenced this like kind of trajectory of artist and artist as a set designer? Only little bits, really. It's um, my parents are supportive, but I'm also very stubborn and I uh, will always do what I'm interested in doing. I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, and then I moved to Southern California. I had the option of staying in Anchorage or moving to Southern California with my mom, and I decided to drop everything and move to Southern California. I was 14, and after that, I, I was really interested in filmmaking and acting, and uh, they kept telling me, go to school, uh, study something like business or engineering. Parents. And yeah, and I wanted to appease them. I, I trusted that they had uh, good intentions, but I just couldn't put the effort into that because I was so much more interested in other things. And stubbornly uh, dropped my classes in school and was doing acting outside of school and focusing on making art. And then um, I came to visit St. Louis, really liked it, went back to LA, was back for two days and decided I was moving to St. Louis. So I then was like, yep, dropping everything. I'm moving to St. Louis. And a month later I was here. And so they were like, I don't know, you're probably ruining your life, what are you doing? And I was like, no, I'm fine, I'm doing this. And they're like, well, we can't stop you. You're a human being and you're separate, so. How long ago was that? Um, seven years. I thought it was interesting, like, don't move to St. Louis, it'll ruin your life. It's like, that's really not, you know, as a meme or as a, you know, a trope. But on the other hand, I was thinking, obviously it didn't. And what was it about St. Louis that, that made you so determined to move back here? I felt so stagnant in L.A. I was pursuing filmmaking and acting. I had a manager and I was going on auditions and I was going out for things like Wendy's commercial. Go act like you work at Wendy's. And that is not what I want to do with my life. I don't want to be someone who works at Wendy's. I was more interested in creating art with a community of people and, uh, and experiencing new things to inform my art and I felt like that didn't exist in LA that it was so commercial and I would have to climb up all of these ladders to be where I didn't want to be so it was kind of like escaping and allowing myself freedom to explore and to have enough resources uh, to be able to afford an art studio and to live with low cost of rent and the things that really inspired me about St. Louis was the people, the community, and the understanding that art is a necessity and like the art museum is free and uh, there's a focus on experimenting with art and people aren't separate from it. It's not intimidating. 
that really excited me. That was Kristen Cassidy talking about her appreciation of the St. Louis art scene and her installation work that's now expanded into designing stage sets. This is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast, produced by Nancy Fowler and Willis Ryder Arnold, with help from our editor, David Casares. Some of the music you've heard is by music producer Trifecta. And if you're listening to our podcast in order, I have to tell you, this is the last time that Willis will be cutting and pasting with us. It's so sad, but I've had so much fun talking about the arts and what's important here creatively in St. Louis. And I don't know how we're going to find somebody else to do this with, but we will. We're going to carry on. We're going to try to carry on, and we will be bringing you more cut and paste podcasts featuring a variety of artists and cultural drivers. And as always, you can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And we wish Willis all the best in his new endeavors. Thank you, Nancy. St. Louis Public Radio's podcast series, Cut and Paste, is made possible by space, architects, designers, and builders, creating St. Louis's favorite spaces. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.